Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm so glad you chose to join us. I think we're going to have a delightful conversation tonight. The topic is, I did it to myself again, and our guest tonight is Joanne DiMaggio. We're going to bring Joanne on in just a minute. But I wanted to just touch on the notion of having trust, having a personal sense of trust in the continuity of your consciousness. And what do I mean by that? The continuity of your consciousness. For so many of us on this planet, we identify as our egos. We, we perceive ourselves as being our egos. But none of us had an ego the day we were born. And as we'll talk about in the discussion tonight, our souls chose our family of origin quite intentionally, quite carefully. Our souls chose our family of origin to set ourselves up for our life purpose, our karmic lessons. And like I said, when the day one when we were born, we didn't have an ego, but we grew an ego. And fast forward up to now, a lot of people think they are their ego, that their perception of themselves is this monologue that goes on in their head. And the thing about the ego is the ego can be afraid of death. The ego can be terrified of dying. Now, I'm not recommending that you go play in traffic on the on the freeway. To value your life is important. I'm not discounting death in and of itself, but to trust the continuity of life. And the reason I bring this up is no matter what happens in this physical earth plane, no matter what, you are safe. You with a capital Y are safe. No matter what happens, you are safe, no matter what. In fact, the the essence of you, the truth of you, if you will, is literally out of reach from human intentions. No matter what any other human intends, you are safe. And, and when so many people observe the collective consciousness and they observe the upheaval and the chaos and the rioting and the et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they can wring their hands and worry and fret about, quote, what's going to happen, unquote, in the future. And that's why I bring up the, the notion of the continuity of consciousness. Well, well no matter what happens in the future, you are safe. The essence of you is safe. And I suggest to you, if your ego noodles this notion that the continuity of yourself is assured, that you can find a sense of peace within that. And many, many people would love to take a big, strong dose of peace in the in the chaos of the headlines. If you go out in nature, nature trusts the continuity of life. If you go out in the forest, none of the life there is worried about tomorrow. That's a human trait. None of of nature's expressions worry about tomorrow except for the human ego. So it's uh, 
what I really like about tonight's show is to take a big step back and then maybe even take another big step back and to look at your life from a new perspective, to understand the value of of the of what might seem like train wrecks in your life, the value of what might seem like hardships in your life. But your soul picked this life path for you for a purpose and a reason. And your life purpose is intertwined with that. And when you can start to appreciate everything that's happened in your life up to this moment, it can bring a sense of peace within your own being. So I think it's time to get to it. Again, the topic is, I did it to myself again. This is the title of Joanne DiMaggio's latest book, New Life Between Life Case Studies Show How Your Soul's Contract is Guiding Your Life. What does it feel like to die? What does it what does the afterlife look like? Who are the council of elders and how do they assist you mapping out your next life? What is your soul's mission? Why did you choose your parents? Who in your soul family decided to join you in this life and why? Why did you choose the body you're in now? What memory triggers were given to you to help you remember your prior life? These are topics that are covered in the book. Joanne has been actively involved in the Edgar Casey's Association for Research and Enlightenment since 1987 and has been the coordinator for that institution in Charlottesville since um, the Association of Research and Enlightenment in Charlottesville since August 2008. She earned her master's in transpersonal studies degree and her spiritual mentor certification through Atlantic University. Joanne, the author of six books, has given talks on the subject of past life exploration and soul writing to audiences across the country. She has been professionally pursuing past life research and therapy for over 30 years. You can learn more at joannedimaggio.com. Join me in welcoming Joanne to the show. Joanne, welcome to the show. Thanks, Les. I'm really happy to be here with you. Yeah, I'm I'm always delighted to have a conversation from our soul's perspective, perspective if you will. What would you uh, um at what point in your life did you think uh did you realize that this was going to be your life work? Um I had glimpses of it when I was a teenager. That's when I started reading books about um, Edgar Cayce. Um, And for those who don't know who Edgar Cayce is, he's the most renowned psychic. I think he was a mystic, actually, uh, of the 20th century. Uh, He passed in 1945. But before he left us, he had done uh, nearly 14,000 readings for people, 12,000 of which were health readings. And that's why he got the nickname of the father of holistic medicine. So he was providing um, remedies for people who had exhausted, uh, having gone to different doctors and they weren't satisfied with what they were being told. And so they went to Mr. Casey and he did a, a reading on them and told them exactly what they needed to do and had tremendous success. So we're just sort of catching up to him today. But what I zero in on are the 2,000 life readings he gave. Um, and those were the ones in which he started telling people about prior lifetimes. So I was reading about him. I was reading books by Ruth Montgomery and Jess Stern and 
some of the leading um, esoteric writers as a teenager, and I was searching for answers because uh, having grown up Catholic, I wasn't satisfied with some of the uh, answers I was getting uh, from the priests and nuns in my religious classes, uh, especially when it came time to talk about this whole idea of sin and heaven and hell, the idea of only getting one chance uh, in life didn't seem right to me. So this material opened up a whole new world for me, but I didn't start to professionally pursue it until 1987. And that was the year that um, Shirley MacLaine, uh, her book Out on a Limb became a miniseries. Um, on ABC. It ran for two nights in January of 1987. And I think that was the big wake-up call for a lot of sleeping metaphysicians. Because uh, Shirley was very brave and courageous in putting that out there. She didn't really... Um, I, I was... I was admired her greatly for, uh, you know, talking about this openly. And uh, there was uh, certainly a segment in her movie, in, in the book also, about reincarnation and so um, I joined the ARE that same year and um, because I wanted to find a group of like-minded people that I could learn from share from with and uh, they certainly provided that for me Uh, and they I was living in Chicago at the time and they were starting to regionalize and so they were forming a, a region in the Chicago area and uh, I got involved with them, with that group, and they were bringing in speakers from all over the country who specialized in uh, past life work. And uh, I started learning from them and having private conversations with them about their work. And uh, finally, one of them said to me, Joanne, you know more than 98% of the uh, therapists that are out there. Why aren't you doing it? And, of course, I had to sit there and think about, you know, why wasn't I doing it? And I, and I, I realized it was because I, I identified myself as a writer and a researcher. I didn't see myself as a therapist. So after um, a lot of uh, encouragement from uh, the late Henry Leo Bolduc, who was one of ARE's top speakers, and that was his area of expertise was on past life work, um, I did get my hypnotherapy certification and uh, – I have been now happily combining doing my own research projects uh, with uh, regression therapy and um, and soul writing, which I is a written form of meditation that I um, often attach to a regression session so that we could go a little deeper. So it's been quite a journey, and um, I, I I wish that I had uh, found all this out a lot sooner in life, uh, you know. But it, it is what it is. It came when it, at the right time. I was in the right place. And uh, it's just um, made so much of a difference in my life. And uh, I just absolutely enjoy this work. I'm passionate about it. And uh, I especially am humbled by it when I'm working with people who um, have an aha moment when they uh, when they go through a regression. Right. Well, and for me, um, like I said in the intro, so many people are kind of looking at the physical world um, for, I mean, they're they're taking the headlines verbatim, if you will, like that's the only monologue going on. And, of course, there's many backstories. There's many um, threads of intention and whatnot that don't make the headlines. And mm-hmm. for, for people to to kind of take a step back and look at their life, not from their the from living it, but actually take a step back and observe it as a purpose or an intention. I think um, quite a few people would be interested in. Um, Taking that that deeper look because of all the upheaval, so many other, so many people are questioning mm-hmm. what they're seeing and they're asking themselves why. So, so what have you what have you found as you work with people as far as well? Um, 
how does it change their uh, your client's perspective um, to well, to ac- actually connect with the past life and get that perspective? Um, one of the re- one of the top questions that people ask me when they come for a regression, irregardless of whether it's you know research project, if they're just coming to me as a client, is I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know my soul's purpose. And it's something that they think about for a long, long time before they act on it, Um, sometimes years. Uh, So that yearning to know the purpose of their their life, uh, they haven't been able to find that answer in anything that they have pursued. So they come to me uh looking for it looking for some clues uh from a past life now this particular project that i did for the life between life uh session it was designed to enable people to see what happens when they pass over um what that's like and going through the process of reviewing the life that ended and planning the next life. And it's important that they know that they indeed did plan this next life, that this is not random by any means. I have um, a lot of clients who come to me and they want to blame other in their family, their parents, their spouses, their children, anybody, anybody but themselves. They don't want to take responsibility for the way their life is, is turning, is turned out. And so they'll come in and they go, well, you know, things would have been so much better if I had had different parents or or I had married this person or, uh, you know, I chose a different career. It's always out there. It's not something they internalize right. at all. And so, um, so self-responsibility was one of the goals um, because I thought if, if they would take responsibility for their own lives, and see that they actually planned it this way. Um, you know, taking into consideration that we do have free will. So it's not as if you have, um, it's not uh, set in stone, but the trajectory of where you want to go, uh, you, you set that in place by the choices that you make in this between life state when you're working with um, higher beings, ascended masters, angels, whoever you want to, call them, who are going to sit down with you as a soul, look at all of your prior lifetimes, see the areas that you um, need to work on, and then if the time is right, put them into the the coming life. So we looked at karmic issues and karmic attributes from previous lifetimes. So things that happened to them in a prior life that was so important and significant that it made an imprint on their soul as unfinished business. And that's what they were working on in this life. And the interesting thing about the research project was I had 25 people in it. And um, plus I was pulling on all the case studies from uh, private sessions. But um, the, the lifetimes that they went to spanned over a 1,000 years. So something that may have happened uh, in ancient Egypt even or, or ancient Rome uh, something that they did to someone or someone did to them, they waited until the circumstances were right to work on that, and then they planned uh, to come in and work on that now. So it was really fascinating. It was fascinating to see, um, to not only go through the past life regression portion of it, which I did that up front, um, taking them to the lifetime that was most impacting them today because we've had hundreds of lifetimes, but we're really only working on uh, issues that came up in, you know, maybe one or two of those. So uh, you couldn't possibly work on all of them at once. So I use the analogy of Earth as a school. And so we as souls are going to work with the guidance counselors, which are the Council of Elders. They're going to look at your report cards from all your past lives and say, oh, you did not do so well in this class, you're going to need to repeat this. Or you didn't, you didn't take this class at all and you still need to take this before you could graduate. 
they'll plan a curriculum, which will be actually will be your life. That's the curriculum. And then you'll come in, and there'll be souls that'll come in with you to assist you, to be there to help you. They'll, they'll also be there to challenge you. So um, it's really quite, uh, to me, it's, it's very beautiful and logical and just, uh, if you think of your life that way, um, that uh, there's that continuum. Uh, and both on the positive side and the negative side, although I don't think of karma as negative, uh, it's right. just cause and effect. So, um, so that's what we were. Uh, I wanted them to look at all of that, and um, and then I wanted to see if they all had a common afterlife experience. Or, you know, if they if you have twenty five people, they're all strangers. They never meet during the course of this research project, and yet they tell you basically the same thing when you ask them, "What does it feel like to die?" or "What does the afterlife look like?" Um, and they, they come back and they tell you basically a similar story. Uh, my my thought was, well, if they're all saying the same thing, then that gives me uh, more confidence that that's really what's going to happen when I pass over. And if you know that and you know the experience that they have, and they, all of them had a beautiful experience, not one of them said there was anything to be fearful of, um, then the, then our fear of death on this side of the veil uh, isn't as great anymore because we know that it's um, that this is something we've done many many times before uh, and will continue to do and that our soul lives on and then when we pass on this is basically what what we're going to be dealing with in the years between the life that ended and the new life that's being planned so. It's a very um, beautiful, beautifully arranged uh, uh, series of events that the uh, universe has uh, has given us. It's it's fascinating work. Right. I find the more you learn about the the mechanics of the universe or the mechanics of karma, how graceful it is. It's very elegant. It, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's quite quite a beautiful thing. Um, well, so we're all living out of life now. I, I'm assuming everyone has a body that's listening to the show. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when we think about um, before we were born and our souls looking at the dynamic of what this life could be, um, uh, you've mentioned it looks at the, the family that we're going to be born into, it, uh, perhaps right our vocation, uh, what gender we are, what race or whatever. Um, can you, what parts are decided that are kind of, uh, I think the wrong word is concrete, but uh, um, what attributes of our life is our soul um, um, really intentional with and what parts are left for our own discovery, if you will? You know what I mean? Like, the difference between free will and the intention of our soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's several areas that we we set up the parameters of it, and then you're right about free will coming into play. Um, the first thing that I think is really important that I stress with the people in the research project was the choice of parents. Um, so Dr. Brian Weiss, who was really um, uh, renowned in the area of uh, regression work, um, said that we as souls choose to live out the patterns that are going to give us the most growth with the souls that will most effectively manifest these situations in our lives. So you're going to look at your parents. Your parents are filling a karmic agreement to come in with you, uh, either to challenge you or to help you, but the rest is is on us because of our free will. Edgar Casey said each soul has its own purpose other than what our parents may try to impose on us. So when we're looking at the two souls we want as a, as a parent, we look at them from the viewpoint of what opportunities for growth are they going to provide me and what right. lessons will I learn that I could not have possibly learned with other parents. Um, so then... 
also taking into account is there a karmic relationship here? Were they with you in a prior lifetime? So do you have some issues you need to work out together? Um, uh, and some, and then you know, are, you're teaching, they're teaching you, but you're also teaching them. So from the standpoint of picking your parents, you know ahead of time coming into this life what your socioeconomic background is going to be. You know what your race is going to be. You, you know you know what your nationality or your ethnic background is going to be. Um, you may know whether you're coming into a, a, a loving family or you're coming into a family that um, has many challenges, you know, whether it's alcoholism or abuse, some sort of abuse. Uh, you'll know whether you're coming into a family that's going to be fairly well off or are they going to be very poor. Um, so you know what country you're going to be born into. So all of that is, is taken into account when you choose your parents. And sometimes you know both souls from previous lifetimes, but sometimes they come as a package deal so that you may have issues with the person who's going to be your father but not your mother. That was my situation. I had past life experiences with my dad that needed to be worked out, but my mother was, on a soul level, was um, pretty much a stranger to me. Um, I didn't really recognize her. Um, uh, I mean, she was a very loving, wonderful mother, but I didn't have that past life um, lineage with her that I I did with my dad. And and I saw that a lot in my um, research project. So after that, the the members of our soul family decide whether they're going to come in with us. And I explain to people that we come in as a we travel as a pod. So we have a we have a soul family, but we change genders and we change roles over many lifetimes. So um, Casey said we don't meet by chance. Uh, every time we meet a member of our soul family, it's a necessary part of the experience of that other soul, just as it is. It is us. So we do have a karmic um, contract to fulfill. So before we come into life, you know, you may have your the, the soul that was your father in a previous life may come up to you and say, I'm going to come in as your spouse in, in the next life, and this is why. This is what I'm going to do. So if you say, my issue in the next life is going, I'm going to work on uh, feeling of acceptance and approval because I, I that's not anything that I uh, received in my previous lifetime. So your parents and your members of your soul family are going to say, okay, well, we'll come in with you and we'll be with you again and um, nothing you say or do will will we give you our approval. But we won't really accept you. And the reason, that may sound very harsh, like, oh, that's that's just terrible, but they're doing it out of love for your soul because they want to see your soul grow. They want to see you master that lesson, uh, that class that you're taking in school. You're taking a class on acceptance and approval. By them not accepting and, and approving you, what are you what are you learning? You learn, hopefully, that acceptance and approval comes from within and from above. That's the lesson. So by them withdrawing that from you, you're going to be forced to go inward to figure this out on your own. So um, so they come in as as uh, uh, a different uh, uh, relationship in, and maybe a different gender uh, right. in this life than they were in previous ones, but you can recognize them because they have they have an essence to them or a personality identity by which they're they're recognized and, and then we get into the whole thing about memory triggers which were given also as an asset to help us to uh, to recognize and remember um, these former lifetimes and these former are uh, these members of our soul family who who've joined us. Can you give us some examples of what memory triggers might be? Sure, um, I can tell you of my own. Uh, when I was very young, um, I was born and raised on the south side of Chicago. And from the time I was extremely little, I thought I didn't know where I was. I kept thinking, where am I? Where are my gardens and who are you people? Um, and I used to just feel like I wasn't home. There was something wrong. Um, and then I started to really resonate to anything about 18th century uh, early, uh, American history, 
So I'd go to the library and I would get books on Abigail Adams and Dolly Madison, and I just could not get enough of that. If there was a period piece on television, I would watch it, or a movie, or uh, Baroque music. I loved it. I would write with a feather pen by candlelight. So I was considered a very strange child to grow up in a blue-collar neighborhood and yet have this incredible affinity for the um, affinity for the uh, that time period. And when I got into college, I majored in, in history, and I had a professor tell me, he said, you have the most uncanny feel for the 18th century of any student I've ever had. Well, it didn't dawn on me at that point that, that the uncanny feel I had was memory, that I was actually remembering uh, a lifetime. But all those little memory triggers had been kicking in all through my childhood and into my teenage years until I finally discovered uh, when I was in my 30s about a past life in 18th century Virginia. So that's what memory triggers are. They're, they're intangible uh, things that, that, um, that we feel like you resonate to it. It doesn't make any sense. So you would end up going to like the same, uh, the same place on vacation every year because there was just something about that, that location that, uh, that drew you to it. Um, Countries, historic locations, time periods, animals, landscapes, different colors, crystals, even numbers, or books, or music, or films, just things that, um, like a deja vu feeling, that's probably the biggest one. So that deja vu is an inexplicable feeling of having been somewhere before, or having known someone before, but not knowing where or when. That, so deja vu is a memory trigger. So, and I think almost everybody has experienced that from one time or the other. Um, most people, I would think, don't pay attention to it, or don't don't associate that with a, a past life. But that's that's its purpose. Now, you'd mentioned that um, in your life you had seen yourself a writer, and I, I hope I'm recalling this correctly from the conversation, and. And in your mind, um, you identified, uh, you resonated, rather, with the notion of writing. And then as time progresses, you come um, more into this um, um, life purpose, life in between lives. Um, mm-hmm. What's a measuring stick, if you will? I mean, because I think um, sometimes people will settle into their life like they have found their life purpose. Like for myself, I was 35 and I'd bet the farm that I was here to be a a television engineer. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't it at all. I mean, it, it served me in several different ways. But fast forward a decade or two and I'm writing books and I'm a radio host and and whatnot. How do you, um, as we progress through our lives, there's like seasons of purpose, if you will, like like the reason or focus of our life can tend to ebb and flow. And if we don't, if our minds don't recognize a shift, how do you how do you know that you're you're um, seeing the whole picture of your life purpose? Well, I think you, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> tend to have a um, uh, a time in life when you begin questioning, when you sense that this whatever it is you're doing doesn't feel right. There's no joy to it. You don't lose yourself in it. You know, you're not passionate about it. You know, when you're doing something that you're really meant to be doing, you lose all track of time. Um, the other question comes: Well, if you you know, didn't have to worry about making any money, what would you be doing? Um, I think that I didn't really seriously look at this until I started to study Edgar Casey's work on the I, what he called the ideal, um, because he said that no soul enters this world by chance. Everyone comes here with a purpose. And um, matter of fact, one, one of the things he said that I thought was interesting, he said that, um, 
uh, every soul has something to contribute, not so much to be good, but to be good for something. So the key right. to me is identifying what your spiritual ideal is. And that ideal is something that's a, uh, above and beyond us uh, toward which we build. Um, so Casey said every individual is a reflection of, that, of their ideal. It's the standard by which we measure everything in our life. Um, so for me, when it was time for me to, uh, to to write out what my soul's mission was, um, I wrote to inspire and empower through the written word. And I wavered from that many, many times. I would go off on these tangents because something else would attract me and, you know, get my attention and off I would go. But it always, always came back to the writing. Um, So I had two elements going on. I had my love of history, 18th century history going on. And interestingly enough, when you have a love of history, past life work is is heavenly because you are, through all of your, the people that you're working with, that you're doing regressions with, you get to visit all these various uh, time periods. So for me, it was a joy just to be able to go on the journey with everybody to these different time periods in our history. But by the same token, um, since I was a young child, I've always been writing. I was writing plays when I was in third grade, uh, writing stories. uh, And um, this was a natural ability of mine, which the professor in college pointed out to me. So... um, so I thought, well, how do I combine this? And I thought, well, I could do history. Uh, I could be a historian and then write books about history. But that didn't work out because it's, at the time there wasn't any uh, opportunity for me to do that as uh, as a career. So um, the starting to study the metaphysical world, the esoteric books starting in in as a teenager. Uh, being introduced to Edgar Casey, suddenly that element came into play. So um, for my thesis, as a matter of fact, um, at Atlantic University for my master's degree, uh, I did um, what I called soul writing. Edgar Casey called it inspirational writing. Um, some people think of it as automatic writing, but it's not, and I really go out of my way in the book to tell people why. Uh, they shouldn't be doing automatic writing. But soul writing is, um, I get to say, you know, prayer is you talking to God and uh, meditation is God talking to you. Well, soul writing is you taking notes of that in that meditation. So I teach that. I wrote So the thesis was written on, on the soul writing end of it. So um, that part of it, the soul writing, the love of the esoteric studies, and the love of history, all gelled together, and that's when I started to um, uh, focus on on this as a career. Prior to that, I had been uh, a freelance writer. I had done a, worked for a lot of different local newspapers, and I've written magazine articles. I was in the like um, advertising marketing departments, public relations departments of corporations. Uh, so I I was um, perfecting my craft during that time, but it still wasn't right. So, um, I mean, I've only been writing books like for the last 10 years or so, uh, when my first book was published 10 years ago. Um, but everything, uh, everything, uh, if you follow the synchronicities in your life, just let spirit show you the way. And that's what spirit showed me. It gave me all the elements and then it left it up to me to put it together and um, and to make something out of it. So when people come up with their spiritual ideal, um, that becomes their des- the destination. Because your ideal is like your, you know, your soul's GPS, and it's going to take you to your destination, and that's what your soul's mission is all about. The people in my study, by the time we got to this point where we were talking about the soul's mission, um, they were able to say it very quickly because after all the work that we did, uh, looking at their prior lifetime and planning the new one, they knew exactly what they were here to do. So some of them said that they were here to be a teacher of peace. Some said they were 
to be a light on the path. Uh, someone said to help guide others in their healing. Um, so they, they were able to very succinctly make that statement. And once they did that, then everything started to fall into place and made sense for them. And I think it gave a lot of them a uh, the confidence to pursue uh, this ideal in a in a career fashion, um, and um, it was a very joyful uh, discovery for almost all of them, I would say. Right. Well, the, you had mentioned uh, how our souls choose our. Um, I think you use the example of the, our family dynamic where our parents might have, uh, part of their agreement was to um, not validate anything that you did, and that was mm-hmm. them providing you a service for you to understand. And the the question I'm getting to here is, is there a, a fundamental aspect to the lessons like, it all our karmic lessons are about ourselves and how we see ourselves and our our own inner um, uh, paradigms, if you will. Because in the media today, so many people are pointing outside of them. There's so much protest and upheaval, and and they want the world outside of them to change. And in a sense. Who doesn't want the 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 violence mm-hmm. to stop the but but what my question is is here we are living our lives out day in and day out. Is there some fundamental aspects of what our life lessons are as it relates to our own individual self um, not sure how to answer that question um well, our goal well, is. Well, I mean, to to like if we blame our parents, say we incarnate into a family dynamic mm-hmm. where there's um, domestic violence, and mm-hmm. and that's a hard that can be a hard thing to take on. But our soul chose that that struggle right. because there is a lesson behind it. I mean, how do you right. how and do you see? It, go ahead. It could be a karmic lesson. Uh, in which if you're being abused, you could have been an abuser in a previous lifetime. So there's that constant need for balance. You know, you did you did this to someone else. You didn't know what that felt like, but you did it. So I, here's an example. In my book, I talk about a man named Mark who was a female uh, in, a, in his last lifetime. Uh, he was a woman, young woman, uh, African woman who was captive and brought to this country, uh, brought to Savannah, Georgia, to be on a plantation. The plantation son's owner had his eye on her and made advances toward her all the time, which she resisted. Finally, he had enough of that, and he decided to make an example of her, and he decided to have her whipped to death in a party atmosphere. He was going to bring all of the local slave owners over to watch and whip this young woman to death. Well, um, now that set up some karma right there for him. That was, I'd hate to be that soul to have to deal with that, the aftermath of that. But for her, um, uh, she came back, uh, uh, and by the way, one of the things he said was that his soul left that body long before death took place. And, and that happens a lot with a traumatic death. Because I know we didn't talk about um, what it feels like to die or, or anything like that. But that was one of the uh, common uh, uh, things that people told me about uh, when a traumatic death happens, the soul just pops out of the body before the body actually dies. But the point I'm trying to make is in this life, he chooses to be a white uh, male um, who... Um, becomes a lawyer. And what does he work on in this life? He works on civil rights issues. So there's that karmic balance taking place. 
uh, and you see that throughout the book if you read the um, all of their past life experience, the transcripts from their past lives are in the back of the book uh, so that you could read about, you know, what lifetime they went to and what they endured and how does that fit in with their current life. And in the front of the book, I was answering all those questions we talked about earlier. So I think that, that um, uh, it, it enables us to forgive people who um, who have wronged us in this life by understanding what role we may have played in all of this, what role they're playing in this in order and understanding what your soul's intent is, your soul's purpose is, what are those classes you signed up for, you know, and what are the, these members of your soul family, your parents or whoever, what did they sign up for? What are they coming in to help you with? Um, and I mean, I've had that experience where I had a very um, unfortunate friendship with uh with someone who I happened to have been in that eighteenth century past life with uh and um she caused a lot of damage uh to me and to my family in this life and uh I had cut off my relationship with her and then at some point like nine ten years later um I was invited to come to the unity church here in Charlottesville. Uh, because I was having our ARE uh, uh, meetings there, and the rental agent said, you know, Unity is a lot like ARE, so if you want to be among like-minded souls and get to be friends with people like that, this is where you should come. So I hesitated. I didn't want to go to an organized religion, although they'll tell you that they're anything but organized. Um, And I sat there, and lo and behold, in the corner of my eye, who do I see walking up the aisle but this woman? And it happened to be a service that the minister was discussing radical forgiveness. And she said, you know, many times souls will come into your life and um, they'll, they'll do something that will be very hurtful for you, but you'll, you'll grow from that experience. And so if you think of it that way, then, uh, you know, it, it enables you to be more forgiving toward them. It's like, yeah, I wouldn't have learned that had you not done this to me. Now, this isn't giving them the approval because they're, uh, you know, uh, it's not saying that was okay to do, but um, if you understand it from that perspective, it's a it's a helpful tool to enable you to um, to expand your heart and your soul and your love to everyone around you because, in the end, you know, we're all one. We're all linked together. And and uh, that's why these soul groups, when they come together, they are linked together by, they're linked together by karma uh, and um, situations that they were in before that they're working on now. Uh, it, it just enables us to help each other grow so that we can finish our classes here on Earth and uh, return to source uh, and be companions with uh, with our creator, which uh, which is really what this is all about. Right. Well, we have about um, seven minutes left. Um, you had mentioned uh, that we hadn't touched on the the process of of dying. Do you mm-hmm. do you want to talk on that? Sure. Um, again, this, I, I was asking that question because I wanted to see if there was a common experience that people had. Um, so uh, the first thing we did was while they were still in the previous lifetime and they were going through the death in that life, I wanted to know what their final thoughts were because often that sets up uh, the next lifetime. So I would say to them, okay, you know, your soul is as your soul is leaving your body, what are you thinking? Did you have any resentments or anger or uh, were you feeling gratitude? Uh, and so um, we went through all of that. And I found that, um, you know, Casey says thoughts are things. They're very powerful. Uh, but the ones that were most powerful were fear and regret. Uh and so since those would set up the foundation for the next life, 
I really wanted to hear them tell me what they were thinking when they were leaving that body. And they all pretty much said the same thing. I should have loved more or I should have done more or I abused opportunities or I wasn't kind enough. I didn't accomplish anything or I need to make retribution. So having those as your last words, your last thoughts, um, uh, makes that imprint and you bring that in with you and that becomes like the foundation. So if you said something like, um, I wasn't kind enough, then in the next lifetime you would set it up where you'd have one opportunity after the other to show kindness, to balance that out. In terms of what it actually felt like, um, everyone said that, um, talked about it in the most positive way. They all said they were fully conscious. Um, They said they had a great sense of relief and freedom and relief. It was a gentle, painless process. Um, Some of them said that their soul felt like it had popped out of the body. Um, 92% of them said that, that their soul was able to move around freely at the moment of death, and most of them left immediately, which is not like um, people that have a near-death experience. Uh, generally, they report that their soul kind of hangs out and hovers over the body. That's how they're able to, you know, if they're in a hospital situation, they're able to tell the doctor or the nurse that they heard what they said uh, after they had been pronounced dead. Um, because they were going to come back. Uh, and um, then we talked a little bit about, you know, how, what is it like to travel from the material world? So you're, you've died, your soul's leaving your body. What is that journey like for you to come go from the physical realm into the spiritual realm? And again, everyone talked about it being a, a very freeing experience. Uh, they mostly talked about it in terms of a shift of frequency or they had a sense of being a swirling energy that traveled very fast or floating. They said they saw vivid colors and beams of light. Um, and then we talked about, well, okay, what happens when you finally reach the afterlife? You know, I always heard stories about St. Peter at the pearly gates, so I wanted to know if that was the case, and it wasn't. Uh, so most, over, more than half of them did see a gateway, and they talked about what that looked like and what it was like to to be greeted by um, a, sort of a karmic committee. It's like a welcome home committee. Uh, and uh, from that committee is a your primary guide or your what you might call your guardian angel or whatever your belief system is, who steps forward and then becomes your escort. Um, and, uh, and then you're creating a, a place to stay in the afterlife. You could... Everyone said that they whatever they thought of would they could create they could make it into a reality uh so it was um you know it, it was uh very comforting uh you know, and everybody felt loved, nobody felt judged, even when they met with the the council of elders they didn't feel like uh, even though they initially they said that they felt like they were going into a courtroom of some sort and they were afraid that they were going to have somebody shake their finger and say, you didn't do well in that last life. But that never happened. It was always uh, in an atmosphere of compassionate love. And um, uh, and, and their goal was simply to help you just figure out, you know, what, what can I do in my le- next life to move me along uh, to my ultimate goal of not having to incarnate again. So, um so all of that is outlined in the in the uh, beginning of the book, what everyone said. And like I said, the, 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 the majority were saying basically the same thing. So that led me to have less fear of passing over. Um, I didn't have much of it before. I mean, the idea of leaving your loved ones is not uh, something I, I'm looking forward to. But at least I know, you know, what to expect. Uh, you know, after that last breath, and that was very comforting to me, and I think it, it was to everybody else that was in the study. Right. Well, now I want to turn the focus on you. Can you share uh-huh. with our audience um, the services that you offer? Is it one-on-one? Is it online? Um, um, yeah. And, and also share about your webpage and your book. Give us the whole rundown so the audience knows okay. what services you have to offer. Okay. Well, my website is my name, com. It's J-O-A-N-N-E, 
D-I-N-A-G-G-I-O.com. And uh, you could read about the the books that I've written. Um, there's a section in there on soul writing, what that is, uh, and um, uh, how it can be applied to your life now. Uh, regression services. I do personalized soul writing sessions one on one over the online through Zoom or Skype. Uh, and same thing with the regression services, especially now since we've had the uh, dealing with this pandemic. Um, I've switched almost everything over to online. So um, I offer three different kinds of regression services. One's a traditional regression. One is a regression with the soul writing. And then the third is a regression with the life between life sessions. All that's detailed in terms of what, what you'll uh, experience the length of the service. So if anybody's interested, there's a contact form on the website. They can just get in touch with me that way. Uh, and if they're interested in the session, I'll get back with them. Um, I do a monthly newsletter. And, uh, again, if, if I get your name through that contact portion of my website, uh, I'll add you to that database. And the newsletter has um, articles about regression therapy, uh, about soul writing, and um, and kind of any research, new research studies that I'm doing, if people would like to volunteer for those, uh, that's on there as well. And the new book is, um, like you mentioned, I did it to myself again, uh, New Life Between Life, Case Studies Show How Your Soul's Contract is Guiding Your Life, and that is available on Amazon and through Balboa Press. And then my other books are all on Amazon as well. So I hope that um, I've uh, let the interest of some of your uh, listeners who will uh, take a look at some of the books and read about the experiences of other people just like them. Well, um, I'm holding your book now. Um, I, I very much enjoyed it. It's uh, I always like getting that in that deeper insight of of the meaning of life, if you will, and the soul perspective of life. I think it's a very good read. I think you've done a very good job. Um, Well, thank you. And uh, I I think it's very timely, too, because (laughs) so many people are questioning what what the meaning of life is. Well, um, do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? Um, No, I would just say that know that you're here for a reason, Uh, if you're wondering why you're here now, why did you choose to come in during a time of a pandemic, just understand that your experiences in this time and this place are enabling your soul to grow. You're able to work on some of your karmic issues from the past and apply your karmic attributes. And in doing so, you are impacting others. You, you, you know, you may be serving as a role model to family members or colleagues at work or friends or neighbors, whatever, uh, in how you are responding, because we always are not, you know, when we're looking at what we accomplished in life, it's not so much the things that were done to us, it's how we responded to them. So um, this is a difficult time for many, many people. A lot of souls are exiting the planet, but we're seeing glimpses of a, of a new reality that's coming, one that we've been waiting for for a very long time. And so as such, it's a privilege to be here right now and to witness this. So so take heart and um, and know that you're loved and know that you're never alone. Well, very nice. Well, Joanne, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. It's been a delight sharing this episode with you. Same with me, uh, Les. I'm really uh, glad to have the opportunity to do so, and I hope our paths cross again soon. Very nice. We've been talking with Joanne DiMaggio, and the topic, again, has, is the title of her latest book, I Did It to Myself Again. It, it, I, I liked uh, not only her book. Her book is very good. I, I very much enjoyed it. I recommend it. But to to um there was one part of the interview where she was talking about what people said as they were crossing over that they didn't take advantage of the opportunities that they had and and that kind of uh struck me as uh kind of a takeaway 
um, perspective. So often we can get caught up in the turmoil of the collective consciousness and we kind of let go of our intention and, and just hold on as the waves go by. But um, to, to stop and, and regroup your life, if you will, to to regain that clarity from your soul can give you the opportunity of taking advantage of, I know it's a chaotic uh, time, a lot of turmoil, but within that chaos, there's a lot of new advantages. And when we can be mindful of that, we can actually um, uh, change our um, condition or paradigm um, much more pro uh, profoundly through our intention. Hey, you know, time can fly when you're having fun. I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us tonight. Be sure to follow us on the New Human Living Radio Show and and sign up at newhumanliving.com. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Thanks for listening. Until next time. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening. Love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 